This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today, I'm excited for you to hear my conversation with Ann Malum. It was great to connect with Ann because as some of you know, Ann and I got into a debate in the beginning of the pandemic, arguing landlord and tenant positions on Jason Ciano's digital discussions. And now that we are months and months into the pandemic, it was great to reconnect with Ann, learned a ton about her story and how she managed her business uh, through everything that's been going on in the world right now. But before we get into the show, I just wanted to talk about a topic that has been top of mind for me for a while, and that is the act of changing. And what I wanted to just say is that as you're evaluating decisions and opportunities, sometimes the act of changing is what actually holds people back and not the change. Over the course of time, what I've learned is that sometimes people are more stressed about the act of changing than the actual change itself. And once people actually make the decision to change, there's sometimes this sense of relief. So to that end, act decisively and remember that sometimes the act of changing is the larger stressor and more stressful than the actual change itself. All right, everyone. Anne is a really fascinating entrepreneur, and I am sure you're going to love hearing her stories. Enjoy the show. Thanks. Today, we have Anne Malum. Anne is the CEO, founder, and owner of SolidCore. They have 73 locations in the United States. I'm excited to have her. Welcome to the show, Anne. Thanks, Chris. Yes, thank you. So, Anne, this is this business got started seven years ago. You've got a ton of locations. Tell us about it. Tell me about you and tell us about the business and all that good stuff. Yeah. So we opened. Uh, it's funny. I say we now because we have a team, but I guess I, I opened in November 2013. Uh, I had an entrepreneurial experience before SolidCore. I was running a nonprofit that I had started in 2007 um, called Back on My Feet. It, it uses running as a way to build self-sufficiency within the homeless community. So today, which is very cool, um, in 14 different cities around the country, we partner with homeless shelters and the residents of those homeless shelters join the Back on My Feet program. They run three days a week at 5.30 in the morning. We start by building confidence, self-esteem, habits, discipline, all these different associations for self. And then we move our members through our program to get them employed, housing, and, and out of the shelter. Um, so did that for six and a half years, uh, really purposeful and amazing experience. Um, but you start to learn, at least I was starting to learn about myself and what my gifts and talents are. And I, I am an entrepreneur in every ounce of my, my body. And after building solid core and growing it nationally, it was time to move on, right? Like the, what the organization needed at that point was a really good vertical operator, which I'm not like, I don't really enjoy the minutia of operations. It's super important to the success of a business and takes a really talented, skilled, a seasoned person um, to, I think, do that. 
and it just wasn't a match anymore. So I had been taking Pilates in, in New York. I first went discovered it in California and I'm a workout junkie. Like I really love working out and has, I've had my fair share of body issues, food issues. And when I discovered Pilates, I was like, I didn't know you could work out like this. I didn't know you could move so slow and, and get the intense burn. Um, and it was really interesting to me. So I continued to do it in New York and everything sort of changed. My body started to change in really discernible ways. My confidence, my posture, I wasn't injured, right. Being an athlete, you sort of feel like being injured is a rite of passage and like, sure. or I was injured. And so I was like, there's nobody doing this well. There's nobody in this space that's really built a brand around authentic community and turned Pilates into a more athlete workout. So I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And everybody told me, oh my God, I can't believe you're leaving back on my feet to open a gym. What the hell are you thinking? You know, like this doesn't make sense. And gyms don't usually aren't successful. And I'm like, it's not a gym, it's a studio. Uh, no one really understood a lot of that back in the day. So yeah, I, I, I left back on my feet, moved back to DC where I had spent a good amount of time in grad school and my early parts of my career and opened, opened my first studio November, 2013 and had my second studio open by February and my third one opened by May and just have kept going. Wow. So a real awesome entrepreneurial story. And you mentioned something interesting, which is about yourself, which is sounds like you kind of consider yourself much more a, you know, build a business brand builder and less around running the day to day operations of the business. That's the, where your passion is and skill sets are. Is that fair? It's it's fair. And I also will say, because I think it's important that people learn to talk about the things that they're good at. I'm a really good first phase CEO. I understand building. I understand foundation. I understand scaling and brand. But when the organization or company gets to sort of the next phase where it becomes less about building brand equity and more about professionalizing and sharpening operations, that is where I do not shine um, at all. And so that's interesting. It kind of leads me to the next question is, you know, this is your baby, this solid core, you know, when do you reach that point at solid core? Soon. And I've, I've talked publicly about this. Uh, I've started succession planning, frankly, I think from frankly, the beginning, but truly last year. And I will also say that unequivocally, the most important job a founder has, in my opinion, is to make sure you are building something that works without you. That is the true test of an entrepreneur. If when you walk away from your business, it crumbles, it fails, it starts to decline. I don't think you did your job. And I have been uber focused on that from the beginning. I think it's critical that I embody Solid Core's brand, but that Solid Core does not embody me. Um, really making sure I'm not in the marketing materials, um, that we're highlighting our community, that we're highlighting our workout. And that this brand isn't all about me. I think that's very dangerous when when founders do that. Um, so soon, honestly, I, I feel like when before the pandemic, I think that's the line of the year, right? Before COVID, um, we had hired bankers. Like we were on this process to move forward, you know, a sale of the company this year. And obviously that stuff came to a halt. 
So my job is to get us back on track, which I feel very good about that we've been doing and we can talk more about that. And then when the time is right, move into a more executive chairman founder role and uh, let our next um, leader, CEO of the company come in and and, uh, take it to the next level. Do you already know what you're going to do next? Uh, not specifically, but again, I, I'm good at building branded communities. It is what I love. It is what I enjoy. I love bringing people together around something that positively impacts their life. So there will be more of that. And there's definitely a political run in my future in, in some regard. I just, I I care too much uh, about obviously society, neighborhoods, people, and, uh, I, yeah, I think I can offer a different fresh perspective in, in some regard down the road. Wow. That's fascinating. Uh, and, and, and you're based where, where are you today? I also good question. So was in Maryland for a lot of quarantine for six months. Um, now I'm in New York talking to you, but I just bought a place in North Dakota with my boyfriend. That's where my family uh, is from and all lives. And yeah, I bought a place back there that I can spend some more time. And COVID has helped realize what's really important and and wanting to have some more roots where I grew up and have a place where I can spend some more time with my family. That's fantastic. Congrats. Thank you. And where is the business located? Where's like your corporate office? DC. DC. Mm-hmm. Some political things happening over there right now. So yeah. um really fascinating and so you met with all these bankers you know did they give you a sense of how many locations they thought you needed to be and i don't know if you were going to sell the company private equity public or what the plan was but did they give you any sense of like you know how many locations and units you really needed to have no i mean listen you can sell your company you know whenever you could sell and there's sure so, you know, my, our goal, we were on track to have 100, 100 locations by the end of the year. We had opened eight by March 8th um, and we had our pipeline, everything was set. So that was sort of my, you know, the pinnacle in my head of like, when we get to 100 studios, perfect. I feel like I did my job as the first phase CEO, its founder. You know, we are in 18 states right now. We are very diversified from a geographics perspective from North Dakota to Florida, to Dallas, to Philly, to DC, to Kentucky. Like we've shown that we have a real diverse footprint and that our workout community brand company works in a lot of different locations. Based on the data research that we have done, it has been shown that we have room for 800 plus locations in the US alone. So there's a lot of white space and a lot of runway for for this company. And it has a long successful future ahead of it. So listen, we could wait to sell it at 400 and sell it for, you know, a lot more, but one commodity that you never get back is time, right? Sure. Uh, that's not as attractive to me to spend my time taking the, the company from hundred to, to 400 locations. Like just n- not how I see the best use of my time, energy and talent. And, 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 so these locations, tell us a little bit about the studios. So how big are they? 2,000-ish square feet. And, and what are we doing? If I go to a solid core, what am I doing? You're sweating. <laughs> you're praying. You're crying. Oh, yeah, you're, you're working out, obviously. And it's, it's intensifies. It doesn't take much for me to start sweating. 
I've heard that about you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's intensified Pilates, right? So it's done. We actually make our own machines. Her name is Swetlana and she is. Swetlana, that's amazing. Thank you. She's proprietary to solid core. So it's like, it's a cross between a Pilates reformer and a total body gym. You get a complete total body resistance training workout on this machine. You have a coach who takes you through a 50 minute workout. And it is, I swear, like, again, I'm a workout junkie. I thought I had done every workout underneath the sun. You, this is the hardest and most effective workout that you've never done. It, it's about um, breaking down your slow twitch muscle fibers. And what people don't realize about working out, and again, if you've been working out forever and whatever, please listen to what I'm going to say next. If you want to change your body and change your metabolism, you have to do resistance training. Stop doing cardio. Cardio is good for your heart. So right, if you if you need to make some cardio advances, obviously do cardio, listen to your doctor there. But resistance training is what will change your body. When you're at solid core, you are ripping what is called your, your slow, slow twitch muscle fibers, right? So your muscle fibers literally rip. It's causing micro tears in your body. And so what happens when you finish class is your body starts to repair itself, right? The muscle fibers start to reconnect. They get stronger. They grow tighter. And that's where you get muscle definition, tone, and, and lean muscle mass in your body. And in order for you to repair those muscles, what has to happen? Your body has to exert more energy. So your metabolism is increasing 24 plus hours after class doing all that repair work. Awesome. Helpful insights. Thank you. That was great. Um, I agree. Resistance training is necessary to move body fat, increase lean mass. So uh, totally uh, bought into that. And so we're doing these intense um, total body combo Pilates workouts. Um, and they're 2000 feet. Talk to me about unit economics of it a minute. How, how much volume does one of these do? It varies, honestly, between where we are geographically, because the price is different, of course, in yep. every market. But I'll just, you know, we solid core does anywhere from 1.8 million uh, in units down to like, 400k and again there's such a big range there because we are in places like mine in north dakota and manhattan so it's it's very totally. profit margin is very similar in in all the locations got it so margin similar you're keeping your expenses the same everywhere revenue is different um and what drove growth in like where you decided to go what was the the fact like you mentioned you're in north dakota you're in manhattan what how do you, how now and you have 800 stores of potential? How do you decide like which hundred are first? How did you guys do it? Yeah. So now we work with a data analytics firm, right? Because we know who our customer is. But in the beginning, we, we grew where we started. We spent a lot of time opening locations in DC and Virginia and Maryland in the DMV area. There's a lot of opportunity simply right there. And then we went to Atlanta and to Philadelphia were our next locations. And some of that is just making a decision, right? Because SolidCore, we only need hundreds of people becoming a client in that studio to make our economics work. And so you just sort of, for DC, when we opened there, Boutique Fitness, like we were so early, Chris, and we just got lucky with the timing. There was no Soul Cycle in DC. There was no Flywheel. There was no Rumble. There was no Orange Theory. There was no core power. Like we were literally one of the first. 
And DC is an extremely active, affluent, you know, city. And so we just got a little lucky with the timing. And it was like the the people there didn't even know they were looking for something like this. We were waitlisted from the first day we opened. So again, the first five or no, the first 10 studios we opened were all in the Virginia, Maryland, DC area. And then, you know, chose Atlanta, frankly, just like all the major markets. My boyfriend at the time was from Atlanta. So I was like, you know what? This is going to be our next market. It really wasn't more scientific than that. And I I had, I had opened a back on my feet chapter in Atlanta, knew the city, just kind of had a gut feeling. And then the next uh, market after that was Philadelphia. Same thing. I lived in Philly for five years. I um, knew a lot of people in Philly. So it was sort of just like personal uh, relationship and personal connection to those markets. And then once we started to get a little bit more um, and then took on some investment, you know, we really bought a data analytics firm in to help us give us a good score on where we should be opening. And how many members do you typically have in one of these 2000 square feet? How many members do you typically have? Yeah, it's so we have a balance of membership and package purchasers. So you don't have to buy a membership to, to be at solid core. You can buy a single class. We actually like the balance of that. So it, it really depends, but it's, it, you don't need, like you can have hundreds of people who are coming to class twice a week to make the model work because we only have an average of about 14 people in a class at a time. Got it. And then the, the how, who is your customer? Tell me who your customer is. Who's solid course customer. Yeah. Uh, what the data tells us of course is our customer is female, right? She's in her mid to mid twenties to mid thirties. Um, and we have about 80% of our customer base is, is female. And then, um, uh, about 20% of course is, is male. And all different diverse income levels, high income. Yeah. It's about an average income level of a hundred K. So of course, you know, listen, it's expensive because it's small group training, right? You're not coming into a, a room of people with 60 people in there. And obviously there are still expensive options in that category. SoulCycle Rumble is very similar price point to us and they have three, four times the number of people. Um, we don't charge 80 bucks a class, right? At some point, people aren't going to be able to just dedicate those many wallet dollars toward fitness. So we still have to play in that space and look at the competition and see what people are willing to pay. And those numbers work for us, you know, and you're paying for your coach, you're paying for the personalized attention, you're paying for the community. Uh, and you're paying for, you know, not being in a room with 60 people, which frankly, during COVID has really helped us. You know, we didn't have a lot of people to begin with. And when we're cutting and doing reduced capacity classes, people feel a lot safer in an environment with anywhere from, you know, six to 10 people in it. Yeah, that's really interesting piece. And are, are most of your customers new to fitness or tried other fitness and failed or what, what, who, where are they coming from? Yeah, they are a boutique user and they are, they are an active individual to begin with. Got um, it. All of course tough to, it's safe. And this is what I love about it. You're not, there's no jumping or pounding. It's like impossible for you to get injured at Celicor unless you fall off the machine or something like that, <laughs> right. you know, which does happen, unfortunately, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's just, you're not, you're not abusing your body in that way. But it's hard. And most people who come and, and that's our reputation. And frankly, in the beginning, we talk about like the design of our space. 
you know, boutique fitness was known as pretty feminine and almost like, you know, dainty, like pure bar and things like that. These small movements that just didn't appeal to an athletic uh, audience. And I, I wanted to balance the elements in the studio. So it's all concrete floors. It's blue, dark lighting. It's a loud sound system. It's pallet wood. Um, it's clean space. Like our scent isn't even so feminine. It's got like this, I think, really nice balance of masculine and feminine tones to it. And it was trying to present this like athletic um, space and environment and aesthetic. But we quickly became known as like the hardest workout there is. So it actually deterred people. Like, I'm not going to that. So we've had to find this right balance in the space of really effective, not so it's hard, but like the whole message is like, it's effective. Yes, it's hard, but like, if you're going to work out, you might as well work out in a way that's really going to be beneficial for your body. Competition. Do you consider all fitness? Is it club Pilates? Is it orange theory, soul cycle? Is it all boutique? Is it LA fitness and lifetime? Is it all fitness? Is it, how do you look at competition? We look at competition in two ways. Uh, One is finances, right? People just don't have unlimited resources to spend on fitness. So we are competing with all of those brands and people are dedicating a certain amount of money per month to say, this is what I'm going to spend on fitness. So we want to compete for those dollars. And then the second one is really around who can do what we can do, which is give you this resistance training in the environment that we do. Like most likely people aren't choosing to go to SoulCycle over Solid Core because it's a completely different workout. They may do both workouts, but it's usually not a, a substitute, it's supplemental. Um, so it's somebody who would be like, from a resistance training standpoint, so sure, a club Pilates in New York, it's SLT who does, you know, has a similar workout, very different vibe than us, um, but it's a resistance training workout that's that's using weights. Well, that that's an amazing story uh, about you and the business and how you grew it. I, I guess I want to talk a little bit, a couple minutes about fitness industry. It, it feels everybody in fitness is on the same team here because getting a little smacked in the face by headline news right now on everything going on with, you know, how COVID affected gyms and are people going back to gyms and how is that going to work and how's that, what's that going to look like and what's the future of gyms? So uh, why don't you give us a little bit about the state of the fitness industry and uh, from your perspective, I'm very bullish on fitness uh, on a go forward. I feel, you know, I feel there's like a couple of things. One, I feel uh, the reality is the affordability to work from home is for most people is not there Two, I think that there's a lot of market share because still of people over the age of 18, only 29% of Americans have gym memberships. Uh, and that was as of I think 2019. And so that was pre-pandemic. So I think there's still white space. You combine that with the fact of that people are more health aware and, you know, they're, they're citing that on for COVID, the, you know, one of the biggest challenges is for people fighting COVID is people with obesity and it, it makes sense to stay healthy. So those reasons, I'm pretty bullish. I think uh, you're going to have a great uh, back to, uh, new year's resolutions, but, uh, that's kind of my take. What's your take on the, the fitness industry? 
Well, what's going on right now is you. St- so I thought the hardest part about COVID was going to be when we were shut down, right? Like as soon as we can get reopened, things will be fine. And was totally wrong about that, right? The, the hardest part of COVID has been the reopening phases because you've got so much confusion around COVID from our leadership. For one, it's become very political and people feel like the activities and the choices they're making is almost saying what your politics are, right? So if you're resuming sort of some normal activity, it's if you don't believe COVID is real, you must be a Trump supporter. Yeah. That's how um, that's how I feel about how our people are choosing. And there's so much judgment around people's activities during COVID. What? You're going to a gym, you're going to a restaurant, like, you know, people are getting shamed all the time. So one, when we reopened, the mandates that were that were put upon us um, have been challenging and it's different in every single market. And I'll give you two extremes. North Dakota, there is no mask mandate in North Dakota whatsoever by by any leadership, any government official, any agency, whatever. So in Manhattan, right, we have mask mandates in studios. There's 33 percent capacity. It's extremely different. And we had to do an inspections with all the health officials here for every studio. They had to verify that we were operating normally and whatever. And you have to take a mask, you know, wear a mask during class. So you have different temperaments for COVID based off of the, the leadership, the mandates, the politics of that certain environment. And we've seen that and how that actually affects our business in, again, New York to Florida, to Dallas, to Philly and to North Dakota. North Dakota, there are no mandates. We are able to operate at full capacity and we have been since May and there's no mask mandates. Business has been great there. It went back to pretty much pre-COVID levels, just like that. So in other places like, you know, um, Manhattan, just because clearly capacity, the the most business we can do right now is 33% of what we were doing if every class is full you know, at, at, at six people in studios. So that's super challenging. However, we are seeing increases in our business every single week in all of our markets. Good job. Yeah, thank you. And, and I think Solid Core is well positioned to come out of this. I agree with everything you said, Chris, right? People are gonna, there's gonna be this, I think, resounding, hopefully, um, conversation around health and working out and taking care of yourself, right? Like how you put your armor on for viruses, bacteria, everything. You gotta, you gotta be healthy. Like it's so crazy to me to still think that the majority of people in this country do not move their bodies on a consistent basis and do not take care of their health. It's, it's, we have to change. There needs to be more media attention. There needs to be more policy. There needs to be more everything to encourage and support that to happen. Um, so I, and I believe frankly that it will Two, I think that people are craving community still. They want, they don't, I don't think people want to live at home, work at home, work out at home, entertain at home and, and be at home all day and do everything at home. It drives people crazy. So over the next six months, frankly, even into the new year, you're going to see people get more comfortable going back to living their lives, wearing a mask and just learning how to better operate in this environment. Truly, I believe that because we're seeing it in our data. And then um, you add the uh, you know potential vaccine, there's great therapeutics now, like we are figuring out so much about this virus. 
And all the hype right now is, oh, people will never go to a gym. Well, shit. Do you remember after 9-11? Oh my God, no one's going to fly again. Like it doesn't happen. People forget. We figure things out. We readjust. So I have complete faith in the fitness industry. I think it's going to actually be booming even more than it was pre-COVID. And people are going to be wanting to go back into spaces, wanting to get healthy. And I think there's a massive opportunity for boutique fitness because it's a controlled environment where a gym, people are just meandering all over the place. And again, that's fine. They'll figure that out too. But when you come to the solid core, you're coming in, you're going on your machine, you're staying on your machine, your coach is, you know, guiding you through a workout and then you're leaving. So yeah, I've got more confidence in the, in the industry than, than ever. So two challenging questions. I'm going to challenge you a bit. And for those who don't know, Ann and I went into a crazy challenge on a YouTube. Uh, you can find us debating uh, on uh, on real estate on YouTube on uh, uh, on a um, on a uh, what I'll call was a uh, a podcast of sorts. So you can find us debating. But I'm going to challenge you for a second, Ann. I'm in total agreement with you, though. By the way, on this this one, I'm in total agreement with you on. Well, Uh, you've learned your ways. (laughs) What I would say is I haven't heard anyone describe it just how you, as you did right there, which I found uh, quite enlightening, which is, you know, there's all this people work out from home. People are going to work from home people, but is everyone going to want to do everything from home all the time? I've had no one. I don't know why it's just like a light clicked off for me because I'm on social media. I listen to podcasts. I read stuff. no, No one's ever unpacked it for and said like, well, if everyone's working from home and everyone's, you know, no one's out socializing and going to bars and restaurants, they're eating at home and they're working out at home. It means they're doing everything 100% from home and people don't want to do that. And I don't think we're made to do that. And I think that's a really um, profound point. So thank you for that. But I'm going to take a, a bit of challenging for a second. One, on the boutique side, you know, Given all the fitness options, is it in a recession? How do you get over, right? If we're in a recession and we continue, you know, to have some challenges with the employment and this and that in the economy, how do you, how do you get your head around the fact that it could be easy to drop a $200 a month gym membership and, you know, call it downgrade in price, you know, to save some money? Uh, no, I disagree. People aren't going to do that because, because of what you just said before that people aren't going to bars, restaurants, they're not traveling. I think people have more money. I think our customer, our client at solid core has more savings. I know I did from being shut down for six months and not being able to travel, go do whatever, like we were saving a good amount of money. Right. So I, I, I totally disagree. And I think people will make those choices to say, Listen, if we're not going on vacation, if we're not going out to a nice restaurant, if we're not going, you know, whether shopping and doing these other things, like I'm actually going to spend more money on fitness because it's something that makes me feel good. Uh, I need to get out of the house. I feel and, and it's my job as a business owner, right at Solid Core, just like everybody else is 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 responsibility to make sure that that when that person's making that decision that they say, I'm going to Solid Core because I feel safe. I know that, that that I'm going to feel amazing and the experience is worth it. And I know their COVID protocols. I feel safe in there. We have not had one spread of COVID in our studios. Kudos to you. 
Yeah, thanks. Like we we're, we we know it's in our best interest to keep our our clients and our teammates safe, and obviously we care about them. So I think you're going to see more people spending money on their health and their fitness because they're going to have more disposable income and they're going to make it more of a priority. All right. Well, with that, I will uh, I, I'll I'll take it. I, I I love the the bullish nature on fitness on Solicor and the optimism. I think uh, that is um, really great. I, I guess the other question, do you think there's going to be, you know, a, a shakeup in fitness? Some of the, some people, some fitness operators went into this with some shaky balance sheets. Uh, some of them were in hyper growth mode. And so they weren't profitable yet. What, what's your take on that piece? Yes. And some people got unlucky with the timing, right? Every fitness concept I talked to was having their best year ever in 2020. We, we were too. And it, it really, so just so you were having your best year until March, March. Yes, exactly. Until okay. And, um, you know, solid core is fortunate that we don't have any debt and that's not saying debt is bad, right? If you've got a profitable company taking debt and whatever, but we just didn't get stuck like flywheel did and, you know, 24 hour fitness and anytime fitness and gold's gym with having their debt due during the middle of a pandemic and having no choice, but to restructure. You know, it's sad what happened to Flywheel. We had a lot of, you know, friends and people who are there. And it's like, just like that, they're, you know, completely out of business. So I think it will actually teach people in the future too about fiscal responsibility a little bit more and not over leveraging yourself so that if something like this happens again, that you're not finding yourself in dangers of losing your business. So yeah, just like every industry, especially consumer facing brick and mortar, there's, there's going to be carnage. There are going to be leaders or firms or whomever that are just like, you know what, this is too hard. I don't want to do it. It's not worth it. Everybody's having to make that call right now on what their game plan is. And even restaurants, which I know, Chris, obviously you know much more about than I do. But when you're in New York and capacities here is like 25 to 30 percent, these restaurants are having to lose money to be open. And so that brings me to a point I, I, I forgot to ask and I, I want to pivot. I'm conscious of time. At 33% occupancy, can you make money in those locations? No. Well, under with normal rent, no, right? But like, you know, to go back to our, our debate on YouTube, we have, we, have, we have taken our relationships with our landlords as a full-time job. My general counsel, Dimple, is unbelievable. And she has relationship managed. She, on the phone, communication, talking with every single landlord. And our pitch is simple, right? Like. We share our financials. We're super transparent. We are one of your best long-term bets. Don't think myopically about what's going on right now. We're going to need some support. But what good does it do you to hammer us home, you know, in this moment and then try to get somebody else in who you don't know how long that's going to take and whatever. We are going to need help right now. We, we feel very confident in our ability to get through this. And fulfill the length of our lease term with you, adding back end. I mean, listen, there's tons of creative ways that you and I talked about to, to talk with landlords and figure out what their priority is as a landlord, whether they need money now, whether they need, you know, a long-term tenant, everybody's a little bit different. And we have those conversations. So that's been a really, really important part. And more than half of our studios right now are as a company. We're not making a profit right now. And that's okay. Frankly, I'm fine with that. I want to break even for the year. That is my new goal. As we talked about pivoting and having different, you know, goals and what mindset and success is. Success for us is breaking even for the year. And that's what we're focused on. 
that's the conversation with landlords. Um, and that's, you know, every day. Is that, is that, is that and one of the things I forgot to ask, how, how big is the, the company employees? How many, how many people are on? Oh my gosh. So we have, I mean, before COVID we had a hundred and like 39 full-time um, uh, about a hundred part-time and 350 contractors who are our coaches. Got it. And how many people are like at the corporate office there now or like pre COVID? Um, about 50, 50. And so is, is that like the conversation a lot? Like our goal, we're breaking even this year. Here's the pillars we need to break even. Is that, is that the conversation? Totally. And we, I mean, listen, we take the opportunity to, to educate our, our staff, right. Who are studio managers, maybe their first time job, the more they know about the business and we're super, tra- listen, I'm also transparent when things are going well about our profit margins, you know, and I, I think there's so much demonizing of profit and money. And it's like, guys, listen, if your company's not making money and successful, like it's, it's not going to be around, right. This is a good thing. Um, and I think there's a lot of that in this, again, a separate podcast, but this day and age, especially as it relates to female founders and talking about money. Um, but anyway, so yeah, we educate, we tell our teams, like this is, we, we tell them, you know, last month we lost money and, and that's going to happen. But for the next November, December, uh, November and December, you know, what our goals are and what the studios need to do and arming them um, with the tools to, to be successful and making sure that everybody is doing their part to contribute to the, the company as a whole right now. Awesome. And we've been, I mean, Chris, we hired like after PPP, we hired 90 plus percent of our staff back and 90 plus percent of them have been back at full salaries since then. Like it's something I'm super proud of. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. But like our goal is we are trying to make enough money to pay our rent as best we can, right? Make sure our landlords are happy. And yes, there's going to have to be deals being made and to pay our people. That is the only thing I care about right now. Good for you. I like those two things, team and landlords. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, the that was really awesome conversation. I really thank you for taking us through that. I, I The next thing that we talk about is, you know, a story of how a location opened where it did. So where are you taking us, Anne? To, to North Dakota. <laughs> All right, let's go. Where in North Dakota are we? Yeah, I mean, we're actually, we have five locations there, but I'll, I'll take you to Bismarck, which is, which is my hometown. Awesome. So tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, listen, Boutique Fitness is, is seen as like, you know, this Miami, New York, LA, these really obviously cool, urban, high-end cities. And that's where Boutique Fitness exists. And the middle of America and a lot of cities that have a hundred thousand people or less don't have any of this stuff. And obviously I know a ton of people from growing up there and people were just clamoring like, and when are you bringing a solid core here? I'm like, in the beginning of solid core, I'm like, it's never going to work there. Like, you know, people use their Y membership for 40 bucks a month. Like they will never spend what I need them to spend on fitness, you know, in, in Bismarck to make our model work. Um, and it just kind of, you know, over time and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do this. Like I was sick of going back to Bismarck and not being able to do solid core. Amazing. Selfish in the beginning. And I'm like this, I don't think we're going to lose money. Like I think we'll, we'll like at least break even. And like, I can feel good about bringing this concept back to my hometown and it just crushed it. I mean, it was insane. People also same thing, craving community around fitness, something that they could be a part of. 
that was different than just going to the Y. Um, yeah, it was awesome. And so that actually really was the impetus for our tier three expansion model. We have places in Sioux Falls, in Minot, North Dakota, which you probably never heard of, Fargo, Grand Forks. Um, there's a lot of locations that we're looking at in cities that have less than 100,000 people because nobody else is going there. Wow. Yeah. So you get to dominate because you'll, you'll never see somebody else going there. And so you get to dominate that. Do you, um, I think that's really interesting how you landed in Bismarck. So a, a couple of things come to mind as I unpack that one, that clearly North Dakota expansion doesn't come from the data, data analytics. Cause it doesn't say that your customers there at scale and you're going to make money, but you as an entrepreneur had a gut feeling and decide, you know, I'm going to put one of these where my hometown is. Um, and did you, you, you know, everyone there, you know, the market, they were craving it. Did you have a feeling about the real estate on where you wanted to be? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, go ahead. And so where, and what type of real estate you're in different types of real estate. So what type of real estate did you end up there? Yeah, it's, I, I guess for all intents and purposes, it's like a strip mall, right? There's like a Kohl's there. There's a Walmart. Sure. Um, there's a lot of places where people go and congregate and are going to, be for the day. So it was super, it was super convenient. And it's not like it's inconvenient because it takes you 10, 15 minutes to get everywhere in North Dakota and there's ample parking. But yeah, we were, we were in a place that had a, had other big name brands that people knew and back in places like North Dakota, there's not a lot of local stuff. There just isn't, it's still big name, big, big brand franchise restaurants that are all sort of nationally known. So I also felt it was important for us to be associated with some of those because it created this legitimacy on top of, you know, me bringing it back there from Bismarck that like, Oh, this is like legit. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you go there and you have some concerns, you figure out, you know, I'm sure the, the cost structure all around the labor, the rent different than some of your other places. You had to get that in line. You figure that out. Uh, was there a big marketing blitz that you did? None. We didn't spend a dime on marketing until November, 2017. Wow. And you, and was there things, you know, I know there wasn't probably like soul cycle and stuff, but there was like CrossFit up in North Dakota, right? Yeah. I actually didn't know too much about that community in, in Bismarck though. And um, I knew there was the why, but again, I know our market's women and CrossFit is not yeah. that a lot of women are, are too engaged and we're just so opposite from them. And then, so you end up, and so who's your customer there? Cause it's, is it different than elsewhere? It's, it's not, it's a little older. Um, it's a little bit more like me again, I'm 30, I'm 39. So it's a little bit older of a, of a clientele there. Um, but it's still the same breakdown of, of men versus women. And so there's a lot of business people that would say that, okay, she built this model and she broke the model. She got it to work in the place that people said it wouldn't work. You opened in Bismarck, but it worked because she broke the model and she got it to work because she's from Bismarck and she knows everyone there. And there's this there's this feeling of trying to support local entrepreneurs and that pe those people are doing that. But you proved it out again because you went to other, as you called them, tier three markets that were not Bismarck, North Dakota. Um, and how were those locations doing in Sioux Falls and all those places? Fargo and places that aren't Bismarck. Yeah, Fargo is is very very well, and I'll, and I'll say this: like 
yes, take advantage of something like a hometown thing, but people aren't doing solid core because of me. They're not like waking up at 5 a.m. in Bismarck and the, you know, negative 20 degrees and thinking, oh my God, I got to go support Anne. Like, give me a break. I'm not that important. Now, did it help in the beginning to draw attention? Sure. But like, that's a one-time hit thing. And I think the lasting power of a brand speaks for itself because our people are amazing back there who run it. Our community is strong and the workout is so effective. That is why that, that is why it works. So brand community and the workout works. Those are three great ones. Um, was, what, was it a local landlord? Yeah. I'm North Dakota landlord. Uh, did, did you know him previously? No. Was he like, what is this? And, or, or was, did, was he like, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. I don't remember it being tough to negotiate that deal at all because of the success that we were able. I mean, we had 20 plus locations in other areas. Sure. So, and sharing, you know, a little bit of the model and, and everything else. And, and, you know, my sort of history as being an entrepreneur and being from there. Yeah. I didn't, it wasn't a uh, tenuous or arduous negotiation process. Did they have to get like waivers from Walmart and Kohl's and everyone like that? Have you had to deal with that? I have had to deal with that with Ulta um, in Annapolis. Uh, and there was one other place and we, we have some exclusivity rights now because we're big enough yeah. that we, you know, we asked that, but, but yeah, so it, it that hasn't been too much of a complication for us to get approval from people. People normally like us there because of the customer that we bring to the center. Do you, you mentioned exclusive. Do you, like or not like, you know, you, you mentioned the, the, the competition if you're across the street from LA fitness and orange theories down the road, obviously in Bismarck, there's only so much wallet, as you said, but in these other markets, who, what would your exclusive be prohibiting? It, it, it to be honest, we actually like it. We, we do like being next to other fitness concepts because you already have a user who is used to going to that geography for fitness and solid core again is so different and new that people are like, what's that? Right. right. So like you just you, you capture that walk by traffic by someone already being a fitness user. So we don't shy away from it. And you feel confident in the brand that if you get them in the door, you can keep them. Yeah. I mean, we have a higher um, retention rate than a lot of other boutique fitness. And I think it's because of, yes, the workout is so different. The personalization that we have in our customer journey follow up. Awesome. Uh, anything that how many locations did you have before you did Brismark? Um, like 15 ish. Was it, was it, and this is interesting. Was it small enough that if you made the wrong move on one location, it could really hurt you? Probably not one location. Um, because the, stu the studios have such a great payback period and they, they, they are profitable. So one location wasn't gonna cause that for me at that, at that point. Got it. I mean, people think that it's like, you know, as you know, Starbucks, any, any place, if you have enough locations, one's not going to hit. Like we actually closed a couple during the pandemic because it's like, you know, these just aren't, they weren't working that well before and they're not going to, we just didn't have enough confidence in them after to make it worth time energy in the landlord. So, you know, we negotiated out of a couple of, of those deals um, because it just made more sense. Yeah, sure. But if you have, if you have two locations though, the th you mess up on the third, that could be tough. The beginnings matters. Yeah, yeah, totally. Listen, and, and um, yeah, listen, get a great broker, get somebody who understands 
what you're doing. Look at the look at the other brands that are around where you're going. Talk to them. Has there been a lot of turnover? You know, really do your homework there to understand. I mean, you know that being on the wrong side of the street can actually screw you from a yeah. um, from a from a profitability or a success standpoint. So ask the right questions. And I think people just forget that. They just think, oh, I've got this concept. It's going to work. It's so great. And there's a lot to know that I'm sure you you talk about on your podcast here, Chris, but there's a lot to know with picking the right location, the condition of the space, the parking, if that's important, the cam. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, my first studio, I had to close because we couldn't attenuate the sound. The landlord didn't think about it. I didn't think about it. And we couldn't stop the sound from traveling upstairs to three apartments and we got evicted. So like it's do your homework. I know that all too well. I have a, I have a war story on a fitness and sound. So for another time, uh, well, that is really, really thought provoking and interesting on Bismarck and your location there. It's still there doing well. Yeah. Very awesome. That's great. Good success story there. Um, anything else we didn't talk about on Bismarck or anything else? Nah, I think we're good. All right. So last part of the show, you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. I've got three questions for you. Question one, what is your best piece of commercial real estate advice? I mean, I think I feel like I just, I just said it, but know the conditions of the space that you are signing up for. There's a difference in a cold, dark shell. There's a difference in a warm vanilla shell. I didn't know any of that crap before I started. I thought they were talking about ice cream cones. Like, I mean, <laughs> what are you talking about? And so, you know, from the, from the HVAC system to the plumbing, to the electricity that's in the space, those things can cost you tens of thousands of dollars if you don't understand the conditions um, that you're releasing. Sage advice. Next question. Mm-hmm. What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? Oh, that's easy. Sharper image. Sharper image. Oh, I love that store. Right? Like at the airport, you can just like, if your flight was delayed, it was the best. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, the good old massage chairs. Yeah, totally. All right. So um, the the last question, I pick a retail product and you pick the retail price. And in the spirit of, you know, family getting together and trying to pass the time, I am looking at uh, the board game Cards Against Humanity. I don't know if you've ever played. Have you played? Yeah, I've played. What is that retail for? $19.99. $25, but thank you for playing. Pretty close. What did I get if I won, by the way? Anything? So everyone asks that question. I'm going to have to send people something. (laughs) Now I feel like everybody else. You know how I love that. Uh, if you won, I, I got to get something. So fortunately for me, given that not not many people have won. So yeah, you should make it that if I get it right, you got to send me the product. And if I get it wrong, I got to send you the product. I love that. I love that. I would have a lot of gifts. (laughs) You could have the biggest pyramid scheme in podcasting. (laughs) That's great. Anyway, I'll let you run. You're CEO and busy. This was longer than expected, but fascinating conversation. Thanks, Chris. Good to talk to you. You too. Take care. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, 
entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.